Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Van Lowe. Van has over 10 years experience in the material handling industry, and today he's the state sales manager at Bendy Australia, which is part of Hubtex Australia. In addition to this, Van has also worked in Australia and Vietnam for Crown Equipment. While working at Crown, he was also awarded the National Salesman Award. Van, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry? So the reason why I got into sales and the rental um, business was because my dad had a family business and I was working for him at that time. And it didn't go the way uh, as planned. So he, the business was making a loss and there was a lot of money owing after he closed the business. So I had to, had to find a job which allowed me to make money quickly. And I was at the gym and a guy told me about, you know, have you ever thought about getting into sales? You know, there's jobs out there that have uncapped commission and so what? So I, I ended up asking my recruiter to see if they can find me a sales job which had uncapped commission. And and they asked if I wanted to work in the forklift business. And the first company that I started with was um, All Fox Cat. And I never looked back ever since then. You know, I literally stayed in that industry and um, I never steered away from it because I, I enjoy the fact that I could see different people, um, different customers at, at, at every visit. So uh, that allowed me to grow as a person as well because I because every every deal was different, every inquiry was different. So that allowed me to uh, to enjoy working in that industry. And so what did you know about the industry before you joined it? Because if you really came in fresh, it probably would have been a bit of a wake-up call. Oh, yeah, correct. Because I, um, I was working in the um, kitchen industry back then. So we were installing uh, granite and marble bench tops. So going into an industry that I knew nothing about was definitely hard. Um, you need to be very technical-minded because you need to know specs. You need to understand uh, warehousing and then also logistics and how the flow of, of a warehouse should be so it was a massive learning curve for me but I guess my manager at that time Matthew Ackerson uh, slowed everything down he, he gave me the time of day to teach me and um, and because of him I learned so much and made me feel comfortable within the industry and then so what was the journey then so you got into the industry through a referral the rec- recruiter what was your journey yep. then so I started uh, I was working with Orfox cat for five years and then Orfox cat got bought out so we, we were selling caterpillar forklifts we, we ended up getting bought out by United equipment and I had the opportunity to reapply for a sales position or go elsewhere so take my redundancy package and, and go elsewhere so during that period they, they gave us um, about a month to decide which way we wanted to go. So I applied to work for Crown Equipment, got my first interview with uh, Paul Mandino. And within a week of that, I ended up accepting a position as a sales executive for them. And, it, and I've been there for the past 10 years. So I was with them for 10 years, sorry. And then two years in Vietnam for them. And then um, now I work for Hubtech Australia. Yeah, so Crown's definitely one of the bigger ones. And you, you mentioned Vietnam. So what, you did some time overseas as well? That's correct. So during my time at Crown, I wanted to uh, work my way up the corporate ladder. Um, so I set myself some goals. I needed to become a uh, national salesman of the years for me to move from uh, the retail side to the more corporate side, so the fleet uh, side. And then when I became, uh, when I got that and, and became a fleet executive, I got given the opportunity to go over to Vietnam and inject the 
crown culture into the Vietnamese community over there. So I was there for two years uh, in 2018, started and finished off in 2020. Yeah. It, what, what was it like taking your learnings from Australia and applying it to an overseas market? Because the culture differences would have been quite challenging, I would assume. Everyone thought it was easy because, you know, I am Vietnamese by background, but I've lived my whole life in Australia and pretty much... Um, lift the Australian way. So going over there, learning my own culture was exciting, but it was hard because a lot of things that we do in Australia is different to what they do over there. Yes, the processes are similar, but how to get to the end goal is different. So there was a lot of hurdles I had to jump over to be able to do that. Um, I also went and did a few um, coaching courses as well to be able to coach the Vietnamese um, salesmen over there because they work differently to what we are over here. Over here, we give them the keys to, to a car, the fuel card, a diary, an area, and we just know to go and farm that area. Over there, you literally micromanage them from the time they wake up to the time they, that they go home from work. You literally have to plan out the whole day for them and show them. Are you spending your Fridays doing manual data entry? What could you replace that time with? Closing more deals? Spending time with family? What if you found a platform that could give you back your time and you got to choose what you wanted to do with it? Arrow is the sales and growth platform built for you. A simple and powerful way to close big deals. Unlock your growth today and visit www.try.rentalarrow.com. Again, that's www.try.rentalarrow.com. Now back to the podcast episode and teach them so they're still very young in that sort of environment mm. so so doing that for two years you mentioned in, in vietnam and, and managing almost that micromanagement style and then coming back to australia was that challenge because you would have that mindset of that certain management style did you switch over again when you came back to australia or how did that work yes so when i came back it was it was hard when you know again you don't have someone micromanaging you sort of get let go so you had to i had to re invent myself in the sense that I have to self-motivate myself again, um, being able to let go and allow people to do their, their job and, and, and not have to, you know, a million emails or a million texts or a million phone calls just to see what they are doing and just trusting them that they can do the job and, and allowing them to be a, so it was, it was definitely hard, but I think um, it was only two years in Vietnam. So going back to what I was before I went to Vietnam was wasn't too bad. Yeah. And then, so, where are you today? How did you end up at, at Bendy? So I, when I went back to Australia, I went back to working for Crown, Crown over here as a BDM. And I had a feeling of the industry sort of was at a, a stalemate. Like it's, you know, you sell you, your, uh, I wanted something new. I wanted something different. Um, and Bruce and Bill from Hubtech um, connected with me on LinkedIn. And also um, I went and had a, just a, a conversation, a coffee with them. And, and they were talking to me about the product, about Hubtech, about Bendy. And it's sort of got me excited, like something stiff, something new, you know. It's still within the same industry, but I can see that the product and, and what they're selling is going to be the future of warehousing. So that just gave me a, this new spark in my life. I decided to um, take the plunge and, and go work for them. Nice. So then talk to me about what's the association between Hubtech Australia and Bendy then? So Hubtech Australia is part of the um, Hubtech group. So we are owned by the manufacturer, um, Hubtech Germany. Bendy Australia is a part of the Hubtech 
Australia Group um, as an authorized dealer for the Bendy. And, and and what's the difference between like a Hubtex forklift and a Bendy forklift then? Just because people will probably just not understand the, the, the main differences then. Yeah, so Hubtech is a multi, multi-directional forklift. So companies who have long loads, you're looking six meters, 10 meter loads. Um, the You're not going to have a 10 or six meter wide um, warehouse door. Most of them are about five or six, five or four meters wide. To be able to go bring that product into your warehouse, you need to go sideways. So with the Hubtech product, it allows you to turn the product sideways and drive it into the warehouse sideways. So that's the reason for, that's the purpose of the um, Hubtech product. The Bendy is pretty much a forklift, okay? But you've got the um, front wheel swing. So a standard forklift is rear wheel swing. The Bendy product is a front wheel swing, allowing you to work in a very narrow aisle. So we're looking at aisles of, of a small, uh, aisles like a 1.8 meter aisle versus your conventional restructs working a 2.6, three meter aisle. And then also it's a counterbalance. So you'd be able to work inside and outside of the warehouse uh, where with a standard high risk, you can only work uh, inside the warehouse because once you go outside the warehouse, you're going to be chewing up load, load wheels drive wheels, et cetera. The third thing is it works in a narrow aisle. So you can eliminate your very narrow aisle turret trucks. Um, and again, you're going to maximize your warehouse space by going down the uh, articulated forklift option. Okay. So it sounds like when you've got these options that you can provide customers, that there's a lot of almost warehouse design happening at the same time and, and figuring out what's the best solution based upon your the current layout. Like, how does that work in terms of like the sales engagement with the, with the rental process? So a lot of people who come to us don't know what articulating forklift is or are. Yeah. What we do is we um, have a, um, a place set up at our um, head office where we can show them the, um, the operation of a articulated forklift in a very narrow aisle. And from there, we talk to the warehouse designing guys, like the racking guys, and they'll be able to draw a plan and show the customer how much more space they'll be able to get from going down this path. So you, we need to build that whole concept from the start. It's not just go in here and go, hey, here's a, here's a forklift, buy it. Um, we need to also allow them to rent these machines as well to be able to test it out see if it actually works, get the operators um, engaged in the product. And um, and because it is a different machine, like someone said to me, it's different, not difficult. So um, so most of the time people tend to rent it for a while just to see how it operates. And, and then from there, they will make that decision to either purchase it or long-term rent the machine. Yeah, because I, I can imagine this is the true definition of a solution sale in this sense yeah, where you're correct. where you're not going in there just as you said flogging a, a forklift and saying yep you're going to pick things up and move them around and just manage the loads it's really designing the the solution of forklifts that you're providing based upon the client's problem that they have at the moment That's or right. maybe a problem they're not even aware of yet because of space mm-hmm. and so is that all part of the process with the, the sales engagement yes so our conversation to uh, when we start with the customer is do they need more space it's not about okay what type of forklifts you need what, what's the tonnage? What's what's your hours? It's more about okay. Do you need more space? You know, are you planning to move? What's the uh, what's your end goal? And then we work backwards from there, and then we will build a solution around that for them. Because not everyone suits our product. You know, I can't sell an articulated forklift to everybody because if you have a small business which you only have you know thirty to forty pallets, buying a bendy is not the 
uh, not the right machine. You know, a standard uh, race truck or a or a can a three wheel counterbalance would be the ideal machine. So I'm not going to try to flog a bendy to them because it's, at the end of the day, it's not it's not the right product. Mm-hmm. I've always learned to be uh, honest and open with with uh, with um, inquiries and just to let them know that yep, you, this product is best suited for you or this product is not suited for you. And there's no point of me trying to waste their time because at the end of the day, they're not going to purchase from us. Yeah, and, and you become that trusted advisor then. They, they, they yes. see you as that person, oh, this guy isn't just trying to get his next dollar for for this for the forklift. He's actually trying to help solve problems. And then it turns into maybe they might refer you to someone that they know, or maybe they get a new warehouse or, or whatever it might be in terms of that engagement. That's correct, yeah. So a lot of, a lot of my time is pretty much planting the seed um, letting business owners know or warehouse managers know that there is a product like this out there. Um, as their business grows, uh, we can definitely help, but it's the only way we can help it is if they meet these criteria. Mm. So, so just to make sure that the listeners completely understand, I might get you just to explain one more time properly, like what is an articulated forklift? An articulated forklift is pretty much a forklift that has, um, it's pretty much a three-in-one type of forklift. Um, you've got your counterbalance, so be able to operate inside and outside. You also have the high reach capacity, so meaning going up to 12 and a half meters. And also you've got the very narrow aisle working in a 1.8 meter aisle. So pretty much the, the benefit of all three type of um, forklifts combined into the one machine. Mm. And so with the narrow aisles where they don't have a, an articulated forklift, do they have like fixed machines in there or how do they normally manage that then? So the other forklift companies, we can provide what they call a V&A, which is a turret style truck. So a man up machine where the, a guy sits in there and goes up um, and picks the pallets. Um, those machines are very expensive. You need uh, very flat floors for them and, and you need a, um, a, a different license to be able to operate that type of machine. So where with our Bendy articulated forklift, a standard forklift license would do. The flooring can be whatever the flooring is doesn't need to be um you know uh, a full flat uh, surface mm. so it's it's designed for the majority of the warehouses that are around these days yeah and you mentioned that it can go outside which is a key factor as well yeah that's correct so most most high reach trucks aren't designed to go outside so if you've got gravel or a rough terrain outside with then they're going to be chewing up dry, uh, load wheels and drive tires all day because they're only about 75 mils off the ground where with with a standard counterbalance swap, if you're looking at 175 mil off the ground, fatter tires allowing you to work inside and outside and on any sort of uh, uneven surfaces. So that's the benefit of uh, of the articulated forklift. Yeah, and then obviously if they're wearing the tires faster, then there's higher maintenance costs for that forklift and then the that's ongoing correct. and then all that sort of stuff that sort of builds up. And that's sort of what I, I can sort of see the, the big picture here where it's like explaining the, if you want to call it the pitch of, of this is why companies would want to look at articulated forklifts uh, in certain warehouse situations. That's correct, yes. So it is, uh, and then most companies don't go down that path yet. It's because um, the operators probably have never had the opportunity to drive one. So that makes it a bit harder because when you're trying to do a demonstration and get the operators on it, it's literally changing the way they normally do, uh, normally operate a, a forklift because mm. it's not, not a rear wheel swing anymore. It's, it's pretty much swinging from the front. So the, the mass at the front articulates left and right, where at the back, uh, where before with the normal counterbalance, it's the swinging from the rear. Same with reach trucks as well. Yeah, so that makes us that makes us slightly different. Once you get the guys, uh, once you get the guys over that hump, then um, it's like operating in any other forklift. Yeah, and you mentioned that even with that that key difference, it's still a standard forklift license. That's correct. Yeah. So okay. 
so they don't need to go and invest more money in um, doing extra training for it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, talking about the sales side, then look, it's been a crazy couple of years with with the COVID restrictions and, and everything that's sort of been happening. And I guess it'd be great to understand what it, what it was like being a, a material handling sales rep in, in the field uh, before COVID and what the, the day-to-day engagement looked like. And then how has that transpired over the past year in managing the engagement? Like, is there more online meetings and how have you sort of ensured you still got that same engagement with your customers? Like, how's that, that changed over the past year or so? So originally for me, when I was selling, Matthew Ackerson, what, what my, my sales manager at Allfox, he taught me to divide my days up in the sense of admin time, calling time, research time. So admin time is when you do your emails and, and whatnot. And then calling time is when you go out and have your appointments, you see, see your customers, and that's, that's pretty much appointments booked into, into your diary. And then the research time is when you try to get new leads. And, and, and that's your door knocking and, and whatnot, trying to generate more, more leads for the next day or the next week, the next month sort of stuff. So that's what I was doing before COVID. When COVID hit, the difference was that calling time um, and the research time, because I can't go out and, and physically see people. I can't go out and do my networking and being able to speak to the dealers, speak to the wholesalers and, and, and try to generate those leads. So I started to rely more on on LinkedIn. So going on LinkedIn, seeing, um, trying to connect with people like warehouse managers, logistics managers through that and trying to um, send them a DM, trying to see if they are interested in speaking to me or even having a conversation and just allowing me to uh, do a presentation through email. Uh, we also have this program called Activid where I can record myself speaking to them uh, and explaining to them what we do um, and then sending that through email and then they can click on that and reply to me through that through video as well. So trying to get that personal relationship through um, video calling. So yeah, and also doing more phone calls. So I'm on the phone pretty much constantly just calling people. You know, I have that 15 minute break to go outside, get a bit of sun, come back in and then I'm back into it again. Going through um, calling all the dealers just to see how they're going, see if anything I can do to help and support them. Speaking to a lot of the warehouse racking guys, um, seeing how they are going because, you know, if I can get in early, being able to show my concept early, it allows me to have that uh, greater chance of actually selling the product because if the guy's racking is already up, the chance of them tearing it down and putting new racking in to fit uh, the Bendy product, it's hard. Mm. So I speak um, speak a lot with those guys. Um, also um, commercial real estate. So guys from CBRE, I speak to them just to see how they are going within their, their industries. Um, is there any new sites going up um, that I can go there in there and, and who's going in there and trying to network that way as well. But again, not face-to-face. Before I used to catch up with them for coffees and, uh, and speak to them face-to-face. But nowadays it's through... Zoom meetings or just a phone call conversation. And if I don't get them through a phone, um, calling them, I tend to shoot them a quick email to get them to give me a call back when they get the, the chance. Yeah. So it must have been a tough transition, but going from all this on-site inspections and in-person meetings to overnight being forced to do everything via Zoom and email and phone calls, really. It's like, that's correct. How was that transition? Was it a, something that you sort of work together as a team with like because some people would have embraced it if they were more introverted i guess and other mm-hmm. people would have just struggled because they're just so used to this the constant engagement with people no i 
I definitely struggled with it because um, I'm always on the road. So my day starts really early. Uh, I'm up at 5.30 in the office, getting all my emails out. And then roughly about 7.30, I'm on the road. So I'm very organized. So um, one of my um, previous sales manager, Paul Mandina, taught me to be... um, how to structure my days in the sense of, you know, get things done, like all your emails done early in the morning and then start knocking on doors. You know, the more people you see, the the more opportunities you're going to get. So I've taken that on board and that's what I do. And that's hard because I can't do that anymore. Mm. (laughs) So my first, my first call is a phone call or an email um, in the morning nowadays versus going out and seeing customers. And uh, the first couple of weeks was okay, but it started to hit me probably the fourth or fifth week into lockdown. And I, yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was tough. Yeah. So, so how did you, how did you manage that? Like, how did you sort of get around it and, and, and just get to where you are today? So I spoke to a friend of mine. Um, he owns a business and, and well, he owns a gym and he, obviously all the gyms were locked down. So again, his business is literally went into lockdown mode and, and I started to speak to him and, and, and him sharing his difficulties and how he's trying to manage his gym and, and keep it open in the sense of doing like uh, zoom, zoom classes, renting out, uh, letting out his equipment um, and just hearing his struggles and whatnot. And I guess it made me feel at ease that everyone's in the same boat, you know, it's not just me. I think at that time I was playing the victim. I was just like, you know, this is not right. We shouldn't be in lockdown. We should be, you know, but I guess we were all in the same boat and I needed to hear it from someone else because I thought it was only me at that time, you know, but I think everyone was in the same boat and I just needed to get out of that headspace of, of being the victim and and just deal with what we've got right in front of us and, and make the most of it. Um, and just speaking to that one person allowed me to continue on and, and, and reshuffle my days. Okay, I can't see customers, so what do I do? And I started to sit down and literally he told me, sit down, write everything down on a book. You know, what are you struggling with? What's not happening? And then, yeah, so I started to ramp up my uh, LinkedIn presence. So I started posting more on LinkedIn, going through the white pages, trying to find inquiries through that by going, going through different industries and, 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 and different areas and just still trying to work a full day, you know. Uh, mm. wake up in the morning get changed even though i'm not going anywhere I still get changed into my workload so to start the day right you know and and, and that that really helped yeah uh, that's interesting and and how do you think like we're coming up to uh, everything being opened up and obviously hopefully this doesn't change the, the schedule in in new south wales in particular but how do you see it moving forward let's just go to let's just go to next year 2022 what do you think the mix is going to be do you think it's going to be like a combination of both or do you think it's going straight back to what you used to do? Because I think there's a lot of learnings you've probably got over the last year or so as well. I think it's going to be a combination of both. I don't think it will ever go back to the way it was before COVID. I think every all the companies have learned to adapt and and and, um, and modify their business processes and stuff to allow, for example, people working from home. I guarantee there's going to be a lot more people working from home now. A lot of companies are going to allow that, you know, three days in the office, two days at home kind of stuff because they know it, it works. And with us sales guys as well, we'll, we're going to be learning how to manage our time better. We don't need to be in the office all the time. We can still make those phone calls, do those emails remotely and and still be successful. So, yeah, it will be, to me, be different. But whatever we've learned from being in lockdown, we're going to take it on board and, and implement it to being more free and be able to roam um, the streets more, I guess. Yeah. No, it'd be good to start doing more in-person meetings. Even me, yeah. I'm sort of... You, I, you, I get, think you, you, you get tired of Zoom. <laughs> you get, yeah. 
I think the in-person meetings will uh, will still be there. Uh, I think people like that interaction. I think people like to be in front of someone. And and I guess being in front of someone, it's to me, it feels more um, more raw. You know, there's no you're not hiding behind a screen. It's it's easy to see. You know, it's just, it's just more real. No, yeah. I just, it's just, it's harder to be be real and be yourself in fr- in front of a. Screen. I just don't know how that's possible, but yeah. yeah, I believe that you know, in-person meetings, the handshakes or or another elbow, it's always going to be better than um, than a Zoom meeting. Yeah, and you can also confirm that they're not wearing pajama pants. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's it. <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, I saw a quite a funny video of um, this company that did like a skit where they everyone went back to work. And half their employees forgot that they were still going into the office so that people were turning up in their, their underwear and some people <laughs> were brushing their teeth at their desk and stuff. Like, it was just so funny. It's like the, the, the adaption back into the office. Oh, God. I, I can imagine that happening at some um, offices around yeah. the country. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, the other one that was quite funny was um, the, the person was in a meeting and they assumed that their camera was turned off. So every time someone was talking, like they're rolling their eyes and stuff. <laughs> it's like you're not you're not hidden behind a blank camera anymore. You're in a, you're in an actual meeting. So it's, yeah. it made, made me laugh. It was quite good. It's uh, awesome. All right. Well, look, it'd be good to learn a little bit more about you as well. So you've already mentioned a couple of of people that seem to have had a big influence on you. But who who do you think uh, was someone that you've seen as like a mentor in your career? So far, I don't have a, 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 a one person in particular. I think all my managers, all my senior managers, managers have been a mentor to me one way or another. Uh, I'm always the type of person that's willing to learn and willing to um, improve myself personally uh, and within my career as well. So you know, every manager I had, I, I learned something from them. So for example, you know, I did mention Matthew Ackerson. So, you know, I learned how to plan my days with him. Paul Mandino taught me that, you know, people buy off people. Okay, so you can, you, you might not have the best product, but if, if you're genuine and, and you're honest and, and, you know, you do it the right way, the chances of someone buying off you is pretty high. Um, and then you've got, my next manager was Michael Mers. Um, he taught me how to dot the I's and cross, cross my T's. So he was very pedantic about that sort of stuff, making sure that, you know, my my documents and my paperwork and my, the way that I, uh, I ask questions to, to clients and, and taking that down and, and putting that into an email or into the, our order forms and stuff that uh, it's correct, you know, because it's, 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 it's good to sell something, but then you can't deliver it. Then, you know, it's, it's pointless. So he, he, he taught me how to dot the I's and cross the T's. So, and also I had um, Brian Lovett and Steve Short. Um, so they were the directors for our, um, Asia Pacific region that they, they helped me with my time in Vietnam because it was there's, there's, there was days where it was hard. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I couldn't get through to the uh, the sales guys. I couldn't get through to the managers over there. And with with their support and their mentoring, it helped me to get over that and, and find ways around it and uh, and make it a successful time over there. So yeah. So to me, I don't have one particular mentor. I just I just had many mentors. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's important. And I think anyone that is, and I've said this multiple times on the podcast and I'll say it again, like anyone that's in any business that doesn't have a mentor or doesn't think they have a mentor or they don't know what a mentor is, just reach out to a colleague or a boss or an ex 
colleague or a friend, or your gym friend, <laughs> as, as mm. such, like most people are going to just lend a hand. And all you need to do is just ask the right questions and, and just be open and honest. And most people are going to be willing to give you some advice. And then once you find that person that can, that can give you good advice and you can start sort of bouncing ideas off them, it, it really does help you. There's no point in trying to manage everything on your own. Like imagine you went to Vietnam and you thought that you had to be on your own and you had to solve every problem by yourself. Like you, you needed to have that sounding board for people to support you. Yeah, no, that's correct. Because yeah, if you don't have people to talk to, especially when you're in a country with no families, no friends, it's tough. You know, and and not having that support or someone that you can just pick up the phone and call and and, and bounce ideas off. I swear, I'll probably go mentally insane because it, it, it was the, the, there was moments where we was like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. It's just I can't get through to these people. I can't get through to, you know, I can't get my ideas across. I can't get because they're just different from us. You know, you know the way they've been brought up, the way they've been taught, it's it's different from us. So, yeah, it was definitely hard over there. Yeah. Uh, but same, we're not, we're not... I was going to say, it probably gave you a bit of um, extra insight into some of the challenges of global expansion as well. Like, let's say, hypothetically, Hubtex wanted to expand into South America for whatever reason through Hubtex Australia. The challenge of just doing that in itself is a huge task. So companies, when they say, oh, we should expand internationally, it's not just as simple as just taking what you got and plonking it in another country and hoping it's going to work. Yeah, 100%. I think that was the main thing I got out of the whole time over the, in Vietnam was that, yeah, you can't just go, hey, I'm going to open up a, an office in Vietnam and, and sell a lot of forklifts. It just doesn't happen that way, you know. Um, just getting the forklifts into the country was already hard, you know, and then, and then educating the people in that, um, that country is another hurdle you need to jump over and then managing the people within your own business is another hurdle because their work ethics is different you know i'm not saying they don't work hard but it's just their definition of hard is different to our definition of hard so it's just all that sort of stuff all in one where you're trying to navigate through all that mm. yeah definitely i could definitely see that all right well if you could give some advice to your younger self what would you say Always strive to improve and better yourself and learn to balance your life through um, your family, your work, your health, and your religion or spiritual. So if you can learn to balance all that, then I reckon that, you know, you'll have a good and successful, happy life. Is that something that you've worked on over the years in, in getting that right balance? Yeah. So another friend of mine, he went to um, a course over in the US. It's called the Warrior Way. And he was there for a couple of months and they go through these boot camps on how to untangle your life in that sense. And a lot of people go there to seek happiness. You know, some guys, a lot of the guys that go there who have a lot of money, um, you know, have the night fancy cars or a really hot model wife, but they're still not happy. And during that course, he learned that if your life is not balanced, you will never be happy. And if you're not happy, people, when you go and sell something or when you try to present something, people can see through that. So there's the thing that I do every year and he, he's told me to, uh, he's taught me to do this is every year on a piece of paper, I'll, I'll divide it into the um, four corners and I'll have family, work, health, and spiritual. And within those boxes, I'll rank for the past year, where was my family? Is it a five out of 10? You know, did I spend enough time with them? Did I engage with them? You know, is it a 10 out of 10? And I'll rank the three pillar, the four pillars. 
And then from there, I'll write down what I can do to improve those pillars to be 10 out of 10. And, and then I'll frame that and put that on a frame. And then I'll look at that and I'll try to get all those pillars up to be 10 out of 10. And that's what I do every single day so that I could, you know, live a, a happier life. Mm. It's hard because like some people, like they hear that and they think, yeah, but can't you just like implement that faster or can't you just change something and, and be happy? But it's not like that. It's, it's a no. process. It's, it's, a, it's a, as corny as it sounds, a journey that you sort of go on. Yeah really. And is there examples where I guess you've been too focused on work or not enough focused on work or too focused on, I don't know, sport or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like, is there examples where you've really had to stop recalibrate and just think like, all right, how am I going to reapply myself and, and, and fix those numbers like you mentioned to get them to 10? Yeah. So for example, at, at the time is for my family, you know, you, ne- you tend to neglect them. You don't have those family dinners. You don't go over and see them. All you do is just work, work, work. And then I concentrate on my health, you know, training, doing CrossFit, playing basketball, soccer. Um, and then at nighttime, I'll go home and before bed, I'll just listen to a, um, a meditation before bed and, and, and just neglecting my family. And I didn't even know that my mum was sick. I didn't know that um, my dad was going th- through stuff with his work. You know, I just totally forgot about that. And then one day uh, at a dinner table, all these things started to come out. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, what has just happened then? And that just really brought me down to earth. And, you know, you know, my, my mom started breaking down as well. Um, yeah, that, that, that really hurt. So I started to realize that I, I needed to balance my life and, 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 and fix family side because I was putting too much emphasis on work, on the other uh, three pillars and not the family side because I thought, oh, my family's always going to be there, you know. Mm. You know, they always going to have my back, you know, they understand, but really they don't, you know, you need to. And then now what I've done is like every Thursday, this is pre-COVID, every Thursday we'll have family family dinners and get togethers and, and a time for us, even though sometimes we sit there and don't say anything because we really said it through uh, WhatsApp or um, through other means of communication, but it's just allow us to be present with each other and just to show that, you know, we're there for each other, regardless if it's, you know, and yeah, we always make the effort, even if you have a meeting or even if we have things on, those things need to be pushed away so that you can have that family meeting or the family dinner together. Yeah. So. And I think people need to remember if you've got a job or you're, or you're playing basketball or whatever it is, or you're at CrossFit, that, that stops one day for whatever reason. Let's say, let's say you quit or let's say that there's another lockdown or let's say that they, they close the basketball stadium or whatever it is, that mm. ends. But like family doesn't end. Family's yeah. still there. And yeah. I think a lot of time, yeah, people can easily, yeah, get get stuck in a, a bad routine, I guess, because you don't only have a certain amount of hours in the day. Like if you're working eight hours, ten hours a day, and you're sleeping eight eight hours, maybe six hours in a, in a day as well, yeah. you're sort of, you've only got like a few hours to actually do things outside of work and sleep. So you, you need to really be mindful of your time management and where you're allocating that that time yeah. to your, your family and friends. Yeah. And, but again, like I think um, another thing is at the moment um, with the lockdown that my health, I seven months ago, I um, tore my ACL and can't play basketball anymore. Can't do CrossFit. You know, like I had to find other ways to still stay fit because if I'm not fit and healthy, how do I support my family? How do I um, be able to mentally be present when I'm around them? Because, you know, I'm not healthy. Yeah. So, you know, just looking at that and going, okay, well now 
I need to change the way I, I, I think of health and try to eat better, um, try to um, do more walks because I couldn't run back then, so I had to do more walks. I invested in a, um, a stationary uh, smart trainer so that I can jump on and, and at least ride for 10 to 20 minutes um, every morning just so that I am trying to keep active in that as well. So Because I could easily say, okay, well, I've told myself I'm just going to focus on family, uh, work and and spiritual but if if i let go of that that health side what's going to happen to me mentally as well you know mm. physically so you know you can't neglect any of those four pillars because if you do it's just definitely and not good yeah uh, because it affects because yeah. it affects every other pillars yeah, mm. yeah it's a balance it's a balance yeah, yeah really good really good advice so that sort of leads into the last question which is you, you kind of already answered it but we'll ask it anyway how do you define success? Um, success for me is setting go- setting goals. Doesn't matter if it's small or big, and trying to achieve it regardless of the obstacles that's been put ahead of you. So, to me, is for example, um, providing a solution to a customer, being able to guide them and support them throughout the whole process, being honest with them from the start, and then eventually, you know, making that sale, or even not making that sale and referring them to someone that that could help them out. Um, that to me is success Um, another one is my personal goal working my way up the corporate ladder finding out what I need to do to get to the next position what I need to do to become a manager or a director or a CEO what what process do I need to go through to become that and setting little goals to achieve that so yeah that's that's to me is being able to achieve um, your your uh, your work goal and your personal goal Mm. that you set for yourself yeah, it's great. It's great. Do you, do you write down a lot of your goals? Uh, yeah, yeah. So every every month, I I write down little goals. So what I'm going to achieve for the month. So for example, in sales, how many orders I'm get, how many customers I'm going to see. Uh, I've got daily goals, and then I've also with that um, the four pillars, I've got yearly goals as well. So yeah, yeah. And, and and always going back at it. And I know you know people say that you know this you don't have enough time in the day to do it, but you know. Bill Gates and, and Jeff and all those guys have the same amount of hours in a day like us and look at what, where they are. So if they can do it, we can do it. It's just we need to dedicate the time and, and the effort towards it. Mm. Yeah, and, and spending your time wisely. Not, That's correct. Not, not, work, not spending your time on things that you could pass on to somebody else or it's not important or it's just it can be done at another, another date or time or in the future and managing yeah. those priorities as well. That's probably a skill in itself. Oh, and I'm, I'm constantly learning every day. Like some of the things I do now might not be suited for me in three or four weeks down the track. Like it's just, that's the, the beauty of it. You know, you're constantly tweaking it, constantly trying to make it a bit better. And again, you know, learning off all these people that's done it before me and like my, my, my previous managers, you know, just, and even my own colleagues, you know, things that they do that, that make them successful or, or, or make their life better. I learn off them as well. So to me, you just got, got to be constantly learning, constantly developing yourself and not saying, no, nah, that idea is dumb, you know, because that idea might one day help you. So to me, always learn, always willing to listen, always willing to um, give, give it a, a go. Yeah, awesome. All right, Van, well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. No, thank you, Mark, and thank you for having me.